This is episode 53 of the Kindred Mom Podcast. I'm your host, Emily Sue Allen. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Kindred Mom Podcast. I am excited that you're here because today is an announcement and a launching into a new series over on kindredmom.com that I think is going to be really impactful and important to follow along. We are going to be sharing podcast episodes and essays from a variety of women on the topic of what it looks like to be a healthy mom in all the ways that we can be healthy. We're taking three months to spend some time on this so that we can dive deep into a few subtopics, beginning with what it looks like to have a healthy mind. Today's episode is all about mental health and what that looks like in this season of motherhood. I am really pleased to welcome two guests for the first segment that are dear to my heart. There is Robin Chapman, one of the editors from our team, who has herself navigated mental health challenges as she has welcomed baby after baby into her home. And Rachel Blackston is one of the writers in residence who has joined us for this spring season. She is a mom with a counseling background and just has a very unique perspective to add to the things that we talk about. The second half of the show features Shannon Owen, who is also one of our writers in residence, and she has walked through a medically complex journey with one of her children. She talks honestly about how that has affected her own mental health, and I hope you'll excuse a few of the crackles and pops on the audio that we had in our interview, but it's such a great conversation. I am so glad you're here. I'm really pleased to be here to introduce two of my friends, and we're going to be having a conversation about mental health for moms in honor of the new series we're covering on Kindred Mom about cultivating a healthy mind in the midst of our motherhood journey. And so I'd love to welcome Robin Chapman and Rachel Blackston. Hello. Hello. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, I'm so glad to have you guys, and the listeners of our podcast probably recognize Robin since we've had her around a while, and um, so I'm just glad to have you here, Robin, and can't wait to dive into this topic with you. And uh, also, Rachel is one of our new writers-in-residence for the spring season on Kindred Mom, and so, Rachel, if you could just give us a little intro to you and your family since you are new to many of our listeners. Yes. Well, it's such an honor to be part of the Writers in Residence program. I live in Orlando, Florida, and Mm -hmm. I have three little girls. Um, They are two, four, and six. A little bit of an interesting background on our three children is that we went many years wondering and dreaming about being parents. Um, We went through a struggle with infertility. So all three of our little girls are actually from IVF. So it's been an interesting journey to look at what parenting feels like after going through infertility because I spent so many years longing to be a mom. I also work as a mental health counselor and I have been doing that for a little, I guess it's been a decade now. Um, And so I'm really passionate about the issues that we're going to talk about today. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, we're so glad to have you and have a perspective that's grounded in some real clinical experience because my perspective about mental health is very like observational and conversational. And um, I think that's really valuable in this as well. But I think it's going to be great to hear from just a variety of voices as we discuss this. And Robin, I would love to just invite your thoughts on how we enter this topic of cultivating 
cultivating a healthy mind and what it is you're looking forward to in this series? I am just, I'm so looking forward to bringing light to the subject that is so, so often just laced with shame and darkness. And I'm just, I'm really looking forward to the the freedom that comes from talking about it, from knowing that we're not alone. Yeah, I do think, I mean, this is going to be a behemoth of a topic to tackle in just one month on Kindred Mom. Like we could probably spend a year talking about all kinds of facets of this. So I just want to acknowledge from the beginning that we're just going to scratch the surface of this. And I know that there's going to be a lot that we may want to come back to somehow on the blog or in our Facebook group. And um, so for listeners who are resonating with some of the things that come up in this conversation, I hope that you'll find your way over to our private Facebook group just for Kindred Mom community folks um, because Rachel will be there, Robin will be there, I will be there, um, and we have many other people who are kind of a core part of our team and community that would love to answer questions more on this topic or just journey with you. It's something that is kind of weird to like talk about this in a digital space, but it's, it's such an intimate topic and something that I think really needs to be discussed. And I guess to begin, I want to just talk about mental health in general, knowing that that is kind of a loaded word that could possibly mean different things to different people. So if you would both maybe give some thought to what, when you say, you know, we're going to talk about mental health, what that kind of involves and encompasses from your experience. Such a good question. Um, I love, Robin, that you started with this idea of not being alone. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think when I think of walking into um, just this sacred journey of motherhood, um, when I think of my mental health, I think of really the chance to share our stories. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That to be able to share our experiences as a mom, the loneliness, the shame, the trauma, the difficult days to caring, loving ears that can kind of hold it with us and be in it with us. Um, I think that's what comes to mind when I think of healthy, um, walking Mm -hmm. through a healthy journey. Um, when I think of mental health, Uh, in addition to that, um, my mind has just been really going in so many different directions. As I think about the topic of mental health, one area, um, that I've thought about is just, what mothering stirs in us, um, the, the, the longings that mothering stirs, you know, I didn't realize, um, just how much I long to be taken care of until I started taking care of my own children. And so it's brought up so many, so much of my own mother longing. Um, I think, There is so much trauma and loss that mothers go through, whether it's a traumatic birth experience, whether it's mothering after a miscarriage, um, whether it's going through infertility, whether it's health issues. I mean, I think something like dealing with a child that has food allergies, I mean, that, that there is so many places that we that we walk into as moms. I think there's many moments that um, I'm, I'm 40 and I have young children. And so I still think like, am, am I like, do I have what it takes to do this job? You yeah. know, how did I get here? And I think of like, I, I, it's just kind of, when I think about mental health, I think about it in the, in the context of my life. Cause I don't really have any clinical experience. I think about 
how how hard it is to parent when your brain is on the fritz and how the layer that lack of mental mental health whatever that means the added layer of difficulty that brings to parenting i wound up with postpartum anxiety after my third baby like fast and hard and i mm-hmm. remember like i i don't i went straight to help because i didn't i didn't have time to be as out of commission as as i was um and so i'm just mm-hmm. really looking forward to just bringing bringing light and bringing grace to this conversation. Yeah, I really appreciate both of your perspectives because I feel like I don't know a lot from textbooks or, you know, academic sources about mental health. It's just not my area where I have done a lot of reading or even had a lot of personal experience in the sense of, you know, something that might be diagnosable or something that is... Um, I guess in a more serious space, I have experienced obviously my own mental health challenges over the years. I had a long season of depression that um, was very formative in my later adolescent, early 20s. And I feel like since that time, I have become really passionate about seeking wholeness in my life and wholeness being many parts, not just my mind, but my mind and my body. And this kind of part of the impetus behind doing this series at all is just seeing that as we journey toward wholeness, there's a lot of things to consider in that equation. And mental health in particular feels a little bit nebulous to me. But in general, it to me is like, is my mind, first of all, able to to see and grasp what is true of me and what's around me? And am I able to be in a frame of mind that continues propelling me towards a place of wholeness is, is kind of how that sits with me. And I feel like it's really important to acknowledge that there is a very wide array of things that fall under the mental health conversation from the very everyday, just the state of your mind when you wake up in the morning to the very serious and needs professional help and support diagnosable things that are not what I know a lot about, but is like there's just a broad range of things. And so I think as we talk a little bit more, we'll see that some some advice is really helpful for the everyday, ordinary space. And then there are some special circumstances that really do require someone who has training, mm-hmm. who has studied and is mm-hmm. knowledgeable about what will help someone in a given kind of space. And so just acknowledging that, I would love to invite you, Rachel, to just maybe from your experience, um, break down those different spaces from the kind of the ordinary everyday stuff to, you know, how do you, when you receive somebody in for counseling, know what what is their biggest need in that space? Mm, such a brilliant question, really. I think um, because all mothers need a chance to share their stories. They all need to talk about the difficult challenges of mothering. And yet there are certain circumstances. We know how common postpartum depression is that, that one in five Mm -hmm. women, about 20% of women um, will have some type of postpartum 
um, depression. And Robin, you're so courageous to share about your journey with um, postpartum anxiety. That's about mm-hmm. 10% of women. And so, I, and, and I think what compounds the struggle is the pressure, the newborn stage that pregnancy is supposed to be this time of just warmth mm-hmm. and expectations when really it involves so many um, so much exhaustion and decision making. And so um, I have met with women who have gone through extremely dark seasons of their life and um, they need support and care. They need to know that they're not alone and they need to know just how much they're doing their best <laughs> by just just coming in um, to tell a friend to possibly go on a medication Um, to come into counseling, you know, I've had women come and they have babies Mm -hmm. in their baby carrier and they're just saying, I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to show up today. So I I do think that there's times to say, um, you know, do I need the help of a professional? And I think that I love that midwives and OBGYNs are getting so much better at assessing in those, in those six month appointments after the babies to be able to say, okay, who who is struggling here and what, what do they need? Um, which, which I think is huge. The other thing that I would mention is just, um, the amount of either small T or big Mm -hmm. T traumas, um, that women go through sometimes in childbirth, sometimes they're coming into, to mothering after a miscarriage and might have an extreme amount of fear and anxiety or pressure, um, on the, the mothering experience, they might have dynamics with their own in-laws or family members around um, having that, having a new baby in the family um, mm-hmm. and just learning to kind of trust their body and believe in that, that mothering gut. So I just think there's so much um, for women to hold. W- women are just, mothers yeah. are just incredible. I mean, they're incredible what their bodies bear, what their hearts bear, what their minds bear. It really is. And that's one reason why I am really, really passionate about Kindred Mom. Like I spend a really stupid amount of time working (laughs) on Kindred Mom. I will just say in the crack of every day is a Kindred Mom thing Mm -hmm. that I need to do in order to keep this vision going. And yet it's so worth it to me because I have found such purpose and such joy in this journey through serious, hard challenges. And I know that every other mom has her own set of whatever those are. And, you know, it's, it is still kind of odd and awkward to like try to create an online or digital space. But I just think it's kind of what it takes when we're in our homes doing this like gritty work every day to just keep a household on the rails and try to sort through our own identity and the stories and the traumas that you've mentioned, Rachel. And so I, I mean, this is one reason why I just, I'm so grateful that we have these conversations and I'd love for us to just talk about kind of the everyday frame of mind stuff um, that, you know, in the course of a day and all the things that come our way, what are some proactive things that we can do to just curate a a mental space that is healthy for us and in turn for our families? Well, my New Year's resolution this year um, has been to brush my teeth Mm -hmm. and to wash my face. Mm -hmm. Um, 
I, I really struggle with um, believing that I'm worth the time for those those daily habits. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it makes a big difference because I feel like a human being when I do those things. The other thing I wanted to mention was just how much um, I, I use Boxer a lot. I have some dear friends that um, when I'm having a hard day, I just know that I need connection. Um, just like you said, Robin, I need to know that I'm not alone. And so that's huge. I also try to walk every morning. Yeah. You know, I find that joyful movement, you know, not not anything where I'm trying to kind of tackle the day, you know, with calorie counting, um, but just really just trying to find some sense of rhythm to my day. I, I think there's many mornings that I get up with my kids, but when I do, I just feel like people are little people are pulling at me from the moment I get up. So it's I have to get up early and just in order to have like a few moments either for prayer or coffee or to take a walk, feel like I can just get in some frame of mind mm-hmm. to kind of face the day. Yeah. I'm finding that getting up before my kids is worthwhile even even at the expense of a little bit of sleep. I sleep is super important too. I've like had my own struggles there. But mm-hmm. like you said, when when you get up with the kids and you have little people pulling at you from the moment you open your eyes, it's, just, it's a rough, rough way to start. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think it sometimes, it, sent, it sets the tone too. Like however the first five minutes go, I feel like has a huge bearing on the next five hours. <laughs> and, um, you know, I'm not really an early to wake person right now because I have reached a stage of parenthood that I have older kids that can handle breakfast, which is quite nice. amazing, I have to say. Like um, but I mean, I had a lot of years where it was it, it was like six o'clock wake ups with kids. And I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> and um, but I just I think sleep is a huge thing. I think we should talk about that because sleep and motherhood are tricky mm-hmm. and, and that's tricky at best. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that some of the the most resilient and committed and devoted mothers that I know in my life have gone through seasons of just really kind of getting to the brink of a breakdown oh, yeah. over the lack of sleep or the broken sleep or the, I mean, I mean there's just like a lot of different sleep things that there could be. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd love to just get your experience or your observations about um, both the challenges with sleep and any tips you have for how to navigate that for someone who is right in that zone. Can I, can I share my story? I, um, I went Eight, eight solid years of pregnancy to breastfeeding to pregnancy, you know, one after another. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, in that whole period between between the way I sleep when I'm pregnant, which is not, and the way that everybody sleeps when they've got little babies and then toddlers and bigger kids who have nightmares or whatever, I considered six hours to be a really good night for eight years. And as soon as that last baby weaned, uh, my body was done, and um, it. I would. I mm. fell asleep on the floor randomly in the middle of the day while my kids were running around, and it was just. So I just want to encourage mamas, um, like just make it a priority. Let the stuff go sometimes because it's it's so easy to just be like, well, I mean, I've been tired forever. What's one more hour of laundry? But 
one more hour of laundry every night for years on end we can wear you out and both physical and mental complete crash. Um, yeah. So I'm, I'm so glad you mentioned that Robin, because I'm seeing so much adrenal fatigue with, you, um, yep, that's what it was. Yeah. With clients that come into the office and they may have pushed themselves for years and then they'll be sleeping like 14 or 15 hours a day just for their bodies mm-hmm. to restore yeah, that's exactly my experience. Um, yeah. So I I can't answer the sleep question without going into social media usage because um, it is so hard for me to be disciplined to go to sleep because I feel like once my kids are down, that's the only time of day that's mine. And then comes the lie that... A, you know, that an hour or an hour and a half on my phone is going to somehow kind of satisfy me. And there's so many good things about social media. But what I've found is this term called social snacking, Mm -hmm. where um, you're just kind of mindlessly kind of scrolling through and observing pictures and other people's comments without any just real engagement. And I think because I'm so tired at night, that's what I do. I snack, Mm -hmm. but I don't ever really satisfy either my body's desire for sleep or my really my deeper heart for connection. And so, um, I I had listened to this podcast by Andy Crouch on the tech free family. And I've been really challenged to try to not sleep with my phone by my bed. And so I know that it's been so hard. I mean, he really says, if you can just interact, you know, first thing in the morning with the material world and just go outside and breathe some fresh air. And he says, then, you know, he typically gets on his device after that, but I've been really trying to do that, like just just not have my phone by my bed at night because that makes a huge difference yeah. in my sleep. Yeah, I love that. I love that idea of social snacking. That's that's definitely where I find myself. I don't I don't tend to get caught up in the the comparison trap that seems so so super common with social media, but that snacking just to get your little fix of connection or pseudo connection is especially your so right. Just especially when you're tired. Um, it's just so easy to fall into. And then, you know, it's 1130 and I've been on my phone for yeah. an hour and a half. Well, it's kind of just mm. seeing the difference you. between something that is fulfilling a real need and something that is just mm-hmm. kind of pacifying you for a, a short amount of time or sometimes a long amount of time because I'm guilty too. Right. <laughs> um, and I think, yeah. you know, I've had conversations with other women in the past of just the prevalence of loneliness in motherhood season, especially when you know, we're spending our days with little people who need a lot from us and not always having a conversation with an adult or not always getting out of the house and just feeling like we can move or go somewhere or think some thoughts that aren't diapers and dishes. And um, I think that the social media part of that equation makes it hard for a lot of reasons. Um, you know, there's always the the risk of comparison or seeing someone in their sort of Instagrammed whitewashed life, you know, that's like, it's curated. It's, you know, it's not entirely probably the whole picture, but it really sure seems like it. And, um, mm-hmm. and also just 
I think there are a lot of cultural things that contribute to the breakdown of what in generations past, like women did life together. Like I remember when I was a kid, we spent several days a week at my mom's friend's house we played with her kids at her playhouse in her backyard. Well, I mean, I don't know what my mom was doing, but she had her friend there. And I remember them serving us snacks and meals together. And we would all sprinkle her together and things like that, that that doesn't happen a lot. You know, I mean, I don't. some people find a way and find a group and find a rhythm that they are able to carve that out. But I think, at least for me, I live in a metro area and people who live in metro areas are really busy. Like I mean, there's a lot of parents who they have to have two working parents in order to just meet the needs of their family, like just the housing costs and the, you know, so there's just kind of a lot of fracturing, I think, that happens in relationships when we're no longer spending a lot of time face to face with other people, being able to just like get an actual hug from someone or someone to spend five minutes to just hear Mm -hmm. what's been going on with you. And um, that's one reason why I just more than anything, like if somebody listens to a Kindred Mom podcast or reads an essay on our site and that helps them somehow connect with somebody in their actual local area, that's a goal for me. Like that's mm-hmm. not something that, I mean, I don't want you to listen to this yeah. podcast and be like, okay, I'm filled up because I got my little, you know, Kindred Mom pep talk, <laughs> you know, and, and we do care and we do pray for the women who listen and read our blog. And, but, you know, I, I think the physical person connection is something that has to happen and we've got to find a way to let down our guard a little bit. I mean, it's hard because I think at least for me in seasons past, it was just hard to get over the mess that motherhood is. And I didn't want other people to see when I hadn't showered. I didn't have makeup on. My house was a disaster. Yeah. And, you know, but I just really did need the connection. <laughs> so it's like, how do you reconcile like mm-hmm. the messiness? And I think if more moms knew that it's not just you, it's not you that's struggling to juggle and balance all those things um, that moms everywhere are wrestling with similar things, maybe not the same exact struggle, but um, loneliness is one that I don't know if I have met a mom who would say, oh, I've never been lonely in my life. <laughs> it's just like such a daily <laughs> thing. Oh, yes. Yes. I, I, and I think that um, that brings me that idea of loneliness um, brings me back to how much we need to share our stories, mm-hmm. you know, just um, share our tales from the day. You know, I, I love that Lindsay posted today mm-hmm. about what is your small victory today? You know, and I, I really enjoyed reading kind of like, Oh, this is a little glimpse into these different women and their, what their lives held today. Um, I know that I, when we went through, so our youngest daughter, Charlotte, um, she was born with a congenital heart defect and it's, it's probably the hardest thing that we've ever walked through. She got open heart surgery when she was seven weeks old and it was absolutely terrifying. So we were in the NICU for 58 days. Um, and I, I'll tell you that is actually when I saw the beauty of social media mm-hmm. because I was in this NICU room with trying mm-hmm. to do skin to skin contact with my preemie who um, listening to these monitors and I would put out a prayer request or 
um, I would just ask people like post a song and it was amazing. I mean, things changed. I mean, really miracles happened in that room. It was like, I would put a prayer request out and I felt so loved by the community. So I honestly do not think that I would have made it through that season if it hadn't been for community. I mean, it was unbelievable. And then the chance to um, continue to unpack that trauma. I mean, I remember coming home and I still heard the the NICU beeps in my head for weeks and months. And I remember one time something happened outside on our driveway and my husband and I ran outside and we were sure that our other two girls had been hit by a car mm-hmm. because we, we just were in that hypervigilant mode, that PTSD place. Mm-hmm. We were just sure another trauma. And so I still have to regularly tell people the stories of what has happened with Charlotte. And so I find myself, you know, and she has a little, um, you know, she has a scar on her chest that we call her beauty mark, but, um, she, you know, I just, I find that I need to tell people the story of what, when they look at her and she just, she, you know, she's just a fun toddler that scales the the pantry shelves. And, um, (laughs) and I just have to tell people her story. So I think so, so much of what in that loneliness, a, a place in person, um, with a kind face, um, or social media using it at its best, right. Is, is a chance to, to be heard in our stories. Mm -hmm. I think the storytelling, the story sharing is golden, which is a real core value for us at Kindred Mom, which is why we don't have lots of articles about five ways to do this and five ways to do that. I just, I really always want to get to like what, what is personal about this from your own experience? Because that is something that resonates so deeply. And those that read, whether or not they've had the same experience, a lot of times there's more universal things that we can just resonate with when somebody feels really lost or when somebody experiences a breakthrough or those things are just really gripping. And just when you're talking about sharing your stories like there are some really dramatic stories out there that I've heard from many different people um the one that's a little bit more you know run of the mill I would say but just really important is I really encourage new moms to talk about Mm -hmm. their birth experience Mm -hmm. whether or not it was a positive experience or a negative experience I feel like childbirth in any capacity however it has happened c-section natural epidural doesn't matter that um you know, being able to talk about it is just a really important part of the recovery and healing process. And, you know, it's something that I think it can be done um, poorly. <laughs> like if you have a newly pregnant, brand new first time mom, you probably don't want to tell her your big dramatic, traumatic story. Um, but at the same time, like having safe spaces to be able to process out loud with words, sometimes many times over, um, I think is a really extremely valuable thing that um, has brought me a lot of comfort and peace over the years, Um, even though I would say all of my births have had a positive outcome and relatively positive experiences. But that's one I think a lot of moms can relate to just, you know, even if it's not a birth, but it's an adoption story or, you know, your infertility journey, Rachel, or, um, you know, I just, I think that those are things that stories that are kept under a lid are ones that 
they just start to hurt after a while, you know? Um, I I was just thinking about our, our stories and telling, telling the stories of trauma. And I just think in a, in a more daily way, um, like, like Rachel was saying about the daily or the small victories thread, um, motherhood just, it feels unwitnessed, maybe even invisible. And I just, I really treasure the, the, the friends that I have that I can like share the silly stories with, um, the the stories when we when we came on before we started recording I told you guys about my mm-hmm. my toddler who had just woken up from her nap kind of halfway through and Aww. she was distressed by all the things in her room that were out of place and it was just kind of funny and cute and I, I feel like being able to witness those stories of of our friends um, and have those stories of ours witnessed is it just it just feels full and it feels it feels like connection and it's it's good. I love that, Robin. I think that that is so um, just so true that that that's really what we long for is is a really a witness mm-hmm. to our lives and our witness to both the beauty and the goodness and the grief of mm-hmm. mothering. Yeah. Well, ladies, I just appreciate all your thoughts. We are needing to wind down with this, but I want to continue these conversations in our Facebook mm-hmm. group. And I will put a link to our group in the show notes for this episode. But thank you both so much for being here. Yeah, thank you, Emily. Thank you. We are continuing our conversation on mental health for moms in the midst of the mothering years. And today I have with me Shannon Owen, who is joining us for this season on Kendra Mom. The whole spring season, we're going to be going through healthy mind, healthy body, and healthy soul. And Shannon is in a writer in residence capacity serving our community. So Shannon, welcome. Thank you. I'm really glad to be here. I'd really love for you to introduce yourself since our listeners are not familiar with you yet and just tell us a little bit about your family and your background in writing and the things that have brought you to our community. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so my family is in Houston, so we are Texas people. Uh, I'm married to my opposite. My husband, Lee, is an engineer, uh, very left-brained, and I am a writer with an English background, and I am very right-brained. Um mm-hmm. So that makes for a fun dynamic. We have two little girls. Avery is eight and Kate is four. Um, In terms of my Mm -hmm. writing background, my background is in teaching English. So I have a degree in English literature and then I taught high school English for Mm -hmm. a while. And I put writing on the back burner for a while while I had my first baby and navigated life as a stay-at-home mom. And then I jumped back into writing after Mm -hmm. my second little one was born. Kate was born with a non-progressive muscle bone and joint disorder. And I started writing again, mostly just to keep friends and family updated on what was happening. Mm -hmm. We were in the NICU for a long time and she has had multiple surgeries. And so writing for me, first of all, it was a way to keep all of our people updated and in the loop about what's happening. But also it was really cathartic for me to write as we were going through the process. It helped me Mm -hmm. to process and organize all my feelings. Um, And then thirdly, writing became almost a ministry in not in an organized sense, but uh, I believe in discipleship. That's one of my core values. And 
it was really great to have something that I could point people to when they came with friends who mm-hmm. had special needs babies or were in the NICU and they just needed encouragement and just needed to know that someone else had been there. So writing was an outlet for me, but also a way to connect with other people and other special needs moms. Mm, well, I love that. And we're so excited to have you on for this season. There were a lot of applicants in trying to wade through and decide who should join us in this kind of closer relationship for these few months is a really tough choice. But I just loved how your experience really lends itself to relating to moms who maybe don't have a typical childhood experience with their kids where they come home from the hospital and everything is, you know, relatively smooth, no major health issues. And just knowing that the journey with your daughter has been such a consuming part of her life so far. Um, I'd love for you to just kind of talk about what motherhood has been like for you as your family navigated that. Yeah, absolutely. So like I said, with my older daughter, uh, everything was pretty textbook. And so when I was pregnant with with my second, we expected everything to go as it had with Avery. And uh, we did have a miscarriage in the middle of the two. So already I had walked through a season where mothering wasn't what I thought it would be. I had in my head these plans of having a first baby and then a second baby really closely together so that they could grow up like my sisters and I did. I have sisters that are really close in age and I wanted that. And God said no. Mm-hmm. So I wrestled with that and then yeah. got pregnant with Kate and I felt that this was it. This was going to be the second baby. Everything was going to go just as I expected it to. And pregnancy went pretty, it was very textbook and we got to delivery and it wasn't until the moment that she was born that we realized something, something was wrong. And it even took me a minute to recognize that everyone else in the room saw something that I didn't see. And I just remember that first week dealing with shattered expectations and feeling not only the grief of expectations of, of a typical motherhood experience, but also just not knowing what to expect. And I'm a planner. So the unknown is a really scary thing for me. And so the last, she's almost five and the last five years have been characterized by a lot of unknowns. Yeah. And they've also been characterized by really by God's grace. And I've, I've Mm -hmm. learned so much about letting each of my children, my typical older daughter and my younger one, letting them grow and develop at their own pace and in their own way, and just really appreciating who they are and who God has made them to be instead of trying to place my expectations for what I want mothering to be and how I want them to grow up and how I want their relationship to look. I can influence that to a degree, but also God has built things into them that I don't have control over. It's been a lot about releasing control for me. Well, and just because we're on the topic of mental health this month, I would love for you to just dive into your thoughts about mental health and your own journey through it um, in the midst of a crisis situation. Sure. Um, We've had, I think, typical to um, other special needs parents. We've had a lot of trauma moments. And as a parent, it's difficult to separate your own 
anxiety and trauma moments, I think, from your child's success. Um, I'm, I'm so grateful that mm-hmm. today Kate is, she's doing great. She's progressing. She's funny. She, I mean, she's just a cool kid. And mm-hmm. I, I feel the pressure of pressing down all of my emotions and what we've been through as parents um, and trying to gloss over, well, she's doing okay. Mm-hmm. She's doing great. She's progressing. She's in a place now that we never thought she would be. And we're so thankful So while we felt so grateful, the trick was balancing the gratefulness with acknowledgement that we'd been through drama. So it's very easy when someone asks me how I'm doing for me to go into a story about, hey, you know what? Kate is doing great. She's progressing. She's doing all these things and we're so proud of her. And this is what we've got next. And to go into a spiel about her and... I remember the first time, it was a couple months after we had been discharged from the NICU, and I was so used to just telling Kate's story that I I never told my own. And I had coffee with a friend of mine, and she looked across the table from me, and she looked me in the eyes, and she said, no, no, how are, how are you doing? And it was the first time that I realized my story is separate from hers. She has her own story and it's characterized by a lot of hope and determination and bravery. And mine is different. Mine, mm-hmm. my story has been characterized by um, struggle and strength and seeing God's goodness through struggle yeah. and wrestling with some of these big ideas of, is God good in this? And is he there? Does he care? And so my story as a mom, it's so easy to take on the identity of our children and take on this identity of this is how they're doing. Therefore, I should feel this way. When reality is we have to wrestle with the things that we've experienced as parents mm-hmm. and the things that we have gone through yeah, I think it's really important what you're saying about seeing our stories as different or separate from our children. And obviously, they happen concurrently. We do life together, and there's very little of our children's life and experience that we are not aware of, other than maybe what's in their thoughts. But they're definitely not involved in our thoughts. And, you know, as far as knowing what it is that we feel or experience, and I think that part of the mental health conversation that I think you're kind of getting at with your experience that you've shared is that there are small and sometimes large traumas that we experience as parents that aren't the same traumas that our children experience. And for me, it's been a little bit less of a a medical crisis situation um, and definitely more of like, this is just my everyday birth experience of which I've had six now. But those, even those are like traumatic in their own way that there has been a serious, very visceral down to the cellular level uh, depletion of my body and the not just the event of birth, but the recovery of birth and the way that that plays into our mental state and our, our ability to, first of all, just navigate 
the facts and separate those from the feelings of, you know, I, I felt like a really inadequate mom for a number of months afterwards when I'm like struggling through newborn days with toddlers and older children also needing my attention at different times. And, um, yeah. you know, just seeing that being well is a kind of intricate process, you know, that having the kind of support that you need to just be able to process what you've experienced out loud or on paper or uh, with a counselor. Um, I don't know if you had experience um, reaching out for more support like that. And if so, what that has looked like, I would love for you to share. Yeah, absolutely. So for me, all of the above has been crucial. So uh, in the early days in the NICU, the most important thing to me was people who would reach out and share their own stories. So people who could come alongside and just say, mm-hmm. hey, me too. I've been there. I know I know what you're going through. And that was such a gift and a blessing to both me and my husband when we could talk to people who understood what it felt like to be in our shoes. Yeah. Um, so that was crucial. And then also having having a way to, to write it out or journal it and process through some of the big questions that I had was, was really important. And um, it took a while before mm-hmm. I stepped in the in the doors of, of the counseling office. And a lot of that just had to do with time. Mm-hmm. I just didn't have time when she was so small. But going through trauma and even even with my older daughter there, I had a little postpartum anxiety and just the transition from being a full-time working person without kids to staying home with an infant and what that did to my identity. It, It was a big shift. And there was another shift that happened when I had to take on this identity of, okay, I now have a a kid with high medical needs and what does that look like for me and processing through also some of the traumatic experiences that we had had counseling for me was crucial because I could sit on the couch and talk to the counselor and rehash some of our experiences in a way that was healthy and productive it was easy for me to get in a habit of just going and doing and being strong because I had to be, I didn't have time to sit and think about myself, but eventually that took a toll on, on me personally. And also on the way that I was mothering on the way that I was relating to my husband. And I just, I think because of the pressure that, you know, both internal, some external, but probably a lot of internal pressure to just handle it perfectly and to be perfect and to be the perfect mom to both of my children and their individual ways. And sitting in the counseling office was the first time that I could, I felt that I could take a deep breath and process through the things that I had thought and felt without the expectation from someone else of looking for a happy ending to my story. I think there's so many moms, I would say most moms, if I could, that when you are in the middle of a situation and a child or many children that have needs that need your attention, 
immediately. Like there is a lot of practicing this delayed, like I will put my own needs aside. I will just set my emotions or my feelings or any other part of our needs as individuals just really goes to the edges or the periphery. And that's necessary in some ways. Um, I think it wasn't until I was a mother that I really understood how self-centered of a person I was before I was a mother. And (laughs) it sounds awful, but it's kind of true that I just, you know, I was wrapped up in my own schedule. I was wrapped up in this is what I'm doing and what's, you know, what I need to do for me or what's important to me. And at this point, you know, I, I don't really have that luxury as most moms would attest to that the things in front of you that need to be done just need to be done. And I think what I've been learning over the last year since we did our self-care series a year ago in January is, you know, self-care and mental health and the possibility of being as well and grounded and available to meet the needs of my family as I can be does require at least a small sliver of thinking about how am I doing and making small course corrections. And, you know, what's been a radical shift for me is I used to think of self-care or I feel like I could just Uh throw mental health in there as another term as something that's like, yeah, I'll get to that later. And just really not recognizing the importance of not being in denial about where, where I am and what my own needs are. And so I just... I want to encourage other moms that this is not a frivolous conversation. I mean, obviously, there are people who have extreme mental health concerns that they need to follow up on right away with a professional. But then there's also like this like everyday motherhood experience that also we need to just have this on our minds. We need to know that this is something that you may not realize until you're really not fine that you haven't been fine for a while, you know? And (laughs) I think my own recent health diagnosis this last fall, which I've shared about on another episode, has been serious enough and has, it's kind of woken me up in a way to just know that when you're in denial about where you might really physically or mentally be, you don't you don't yeah. know that you're in denial like you're denying that you're in denial or you're just so removed from that awareness of your well-being that yes. when it finally hits you hard it's it's very i mean for me it's been like a gut punch to realize okay, I am really not well. (laughs) And, you know, it took a hospitalization and it took some hard conversations with people who loved me, who could see what I couldn't see to know, you know, the kind of changes that I needed to make in order to be back on the road to wellness and and wholeness of heart, wholeness of mind. So it's it's tricky, I think, balancing these things that are, it does feel like a kind of impossible recipe to meet every need of a child and also remember yourself in the mix. (laughs) So yourself. Yes. But I think that's why we we just need each other as moms. 
one of the healthiest things that I did for myself when Avery was a baby, my first, my mm-hmm. first one, again, it was, it was a hard shift for me to shift into this new identity as a stay at home mom. And I'm a creative mm-hmm. person. So it was, I didn't feel like I had a creative outlet, which was difficult for me. And when Avery was about three months old, I joined a mops group at my church. And that mm-hmm. was so huge for me because it was just so nice to walk in a room and sit with other moms who are in the same stage of life. And again, there's just a power Mm -hmm. in community and a power in sitting around the table with people who get your life and they understand what it means to be home with a tiny infant who gives you no feedback all day long. And you feel like you're just in a fog or, you know, whatever you might be struggling with. It's just nice to have Mm -hmm. other moms you can reach out to and ask questions of and vent with and pray with. So community, I I think is absolutely crucial for our mental health. If we're isolated, it's, we don't get the feedback that we need to know and we need to start taking care of ourselves. And I think that is very true and also a huge challenge for a lot of people. I know that for me, I had a number of years of motherhood where I was not very connected to people who could understand where I was coming from. I didn't join a MOPS group and I didn't have, I mean, my lowest, most difficult season is when I had four children and I had zero friends who had four children or three children even. And recognizing the proactive things that maybe we don't think of as, you know, mental health initiative on our part, it has taken me quite a few years to build some different spaces around our lives as a family that, you know, we have now a homeschool group of families that we have sweet relationships with where my kids know their kids and I know the moms and they kind of understand the homeschool life, which is what is our reality. We have Bible study group that we've been at weekly for now seven years. And I wouldn't call the people at that group like my closest friends that I call on the phone or get together with outside of that time. But I do see the same people every Mm -hmm. week for years on end. And so as things kind of turned upside down in our world this last month, I've had people who I had no idea that they were really following our journey that are praying for me, that are asking me how things are going, what can we do to help. And it is kind of a a long-term investment to, first of all, invite people in to your story and your life and I think it's also hard when we just, we kind of want to manage. I mean, I think we, this is my observation. I think because social media allows us to curate and manage what people see, we kind of want to do the same thing in our face-to-face relationships. And some of that challenge is that it's the vulnerability and it's the mess and it's the willingness to share when things are not necessarily perfectly well that I think draws people into closer relationship in the first place because um, I think, you know, if somebody thinks you have no need of me ever, they're not going to call you and be like, how can I, how can I support you? (laughs) You know, Um, which has been a lesson for me because I think I am guilty too of just saying, I got it. I'm fine. I, you know, this is not for me, it's a more of a responsibility issue. I just feel responsible for my yeah. own kids and it's not anyone else's responsibility. Right. But that makes it hard to ask for help when you actually need it. <laughs> Absolutely. And, um, well, I think that's part of community too is 
asking for help and receiving help. That was such a difficult thing for me to learn after Kate was born because I had to have help. I couldn't be at the hospital and also have a three-year-old. I couldn't be home with my three-year-old. And the mommy guilt Mm -hmm. was really significant in that season. Um, And I, I just had to learn to ask for help and receive help with grace and understand that people love, I love helping people, but how prideful is it? Is it of me to not want to receive the help that people want to give and they want to be part of what we're going through and they want to be part of our story. And so receiving help has been, has been a big theme for me. And that's a hard thing for me to ask for and fully receive. Yeah. Well, and I think it's hard too, because there's a lot of emotions attached to, I mean, when you reach out for help and the first person that you ask can't help you, you're kind of like, oh, never mind. I'll just like do it myself. We'll figure it out. And, you know, I feel that pressure all the time, especially like we have a situation coming up where we have an evening that my husband and I have double scheduled. I have to be somewhere and he has to be somewhere. And even though I have a 12 year old, I'm not quite ready to leave her home with the other. Since there are six and there's just too many things that could go wrong. And it I just instantly feel this pressure like I have to find a solution. And I do have a lot of people I can ask, but I have asked like five people and they have all said no. Not because they don't want to, but just because of their own sure. lives. And you know, so when you get to a situation like that, it's hard to keep trying, Absolutely. I guess, because you're just like, I'll just skip my event, even though <laughs> that's really not what I want to do. Um, and I am going to keep trying. <laughs> I still haven't found a solution. <laughs> yeah. But um, I think because of all the emotions attached with how hard it is to ask for help, I, I just keep telling myself it's okay to ask. It's always okay to ask. And it's always okay for the other party to say, you know, I really can't help this right. time. I'm so sorry. But I do appreciate the friends of mine who continue to remind me, I'd love to help you whenever I'm able. And so my notes from that are, yeah. I want to be that person that offers, even if it's not something that they take me up on. And I think the more I offer, the more, I mean, I have one sweet gal who through all my health stuff these last few months, she uh-huh. has offered no fewer than four times if I need help with a specific thing and my kids and their school classes where her daughter also goes. And I one time have had her help out and that was amazing. And all the other times I've been like, you know, that would probably be really helpful and I need to figure out how to say yes to you. <laughs> Even yes. though, you know, part of me is like, well, I'm I'm managing, I'm doing okay. But there definitely are days that I feel like, I don't know, it's just, it's a tricky thing to receive. And so I think that's really wise to. Right. Well, because the first step is admitting that you need help, which is a really hard thing sometimes to admit when I know from for me personally, yeah, it is easier just to handle it. It's, it's harder mm-hmm. to let someone in and to teach them how to do something. And so asking for help and then giving the person the grace to say no and to be, to be okay with that, I think is a, is a skill to develop also. Yeah. And I just want to say too, that I mean, this is this is really hard for me to live in practice. I will be very <laughs> yeah. honest, but I think it's okay to want help, even if you don't absolutely need help. Like I usually don't ask for help until I'm like <laughs> desperate. <laughs> and you know, I feel I feel like when someone has repeatedly offered, and even if you know, I could still get my kids to their classes on a given day. 
there is no reason why I can't just say, you know, I would love yeah. for you to take them on this day and just yeah. have that one little thing off of my plate. And she would feel a sense of joy and satisfaction to help and serve me in that way. And she's not looking to see, was this a super desperate situation? <laughs> you know, like right. she's just like, I just want to do a little thing for you. And, yeah. you know, so. And it can just, just feel a like, little thing. Yeah. It, it can be because you want help, not because you like are super desperate absolutely, for help. Absolutely. <laughs> so. Well, and I think when you're in community with people, then and there's always a give and take. Like I'm going to have seasons that are harder and then my friend is going to have seasons that are harder. And yeah. if I'm accepting help from them, then it's a lot easier for them to in turn, I think, accept help from me. And, mm-hmm. um, and like you said, sometimes it's just, it's just, kindness. I have a, I have a friend and we started carpooling to the kids gymnastics and it has made my life so easy. It's not something I needed. Uh, You know, I I could get Avery to gymnastics Mm -hmm. at this particular time. It's not a problem, but the give and take of just carpooling has made that day of the week so much easier. And for her too. And those little things add up. You know, if you have several little things that are a shared burden with someone else who is glad to join you in it, it just, I think those are the moments that make life really sweet because it's not necessarily that a carpool is changing your life, except it is in a small way and it's great. Wonderful. Well, we're, we need to wrap up here, but I want to give you an opportunity to just share um, where people can find you online. They can obviously go to the Kindred Mom website where we have you on our Writers in Residence page, um, and you'll, they'll be seeing more from you on the blog, and I think you'll be on the podcast another time or two, so you'll be around, but where can they find you on your social channels? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm active on Instagram. My handle is Shannon L. Owen, uh, and I write on a blog at shannonowenblogs.com so you can follow our family there awesome well thank you so much and i can't wait to get to know you more over these next few months absolutely thank you so much emily Mm -hmm.